Awesome. Thanks for that. Neil, good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Josh. I'm um, the youth pastor here at Rivers. And uh, it feels a bit weird, actually, because normally I'm out, obviously, with the kids, doing Rivers Kids, but um, I'm in for uh, the sermon this morning. And I even set my phone up before. to. I always take notes during the message. And I set it all up, and then I went, I can't really take notes during the message this morning because I'm doing the message. So that would have been interesting. I would have to stop and take notes. But um, if you are taking notes, I'd be interested to see them, actually, to see if I actually keep on track. But um, we're talking this morning uh, about keeping our eyes on Jesus and... Um, you know, it's something that uh, I've been really challenged about is, is turning our eyes upon him and, and keeping our, our, our gaze transfixed on him. Can we turn the foldbacks off? Is that all right? Um, I like the sound of my own voice, but not that much. Um, but yeah, so uh, I just thought I'd show you a few photos from youth group, uh, what we've been doing the last few weeks, just to kind of give you a bit of a glimpse into what uh, youth pastor life looks like. Um, there's actually a hashtag on Instagram and Facebook for those of you that are on social media called Youth Pastor Life and there's a few of us that put up funny things uh, from all over the world. But um, we've had um, some pretty cool things happening. There we go. Um, so this was uh, going back a few, couple of months ago. We had all the Churches of Christ youth groups get together in the one place, which was here. Uh, there was about 300 and something people, which is um, completely legal with workplace health and safety, I'm sure, in this building. <laughs> Um, then we had um, some, some, uh, another workplace and health and safety thing of kids pushing one of the cars across the oval, which is great. I'm actually catching up with Joe Lee after this to talk about child safety and how we're at going as a church. So uh, this is probably not uh, the best way to kind of um, segue into that with her later on. But anyway, um, this one's a bit more safer. I'm just playing some sports with the kids uh, in the hall, which is always good fun. And... Uh, and finally, this is, these are the boys that are kind of in my small group every week. We have a bit of fun uh, at Junior Youth. And they, they feel very special because usually I'm doing the message on a Friday night and they get to come up on the stage and have their small group on the stage, which is like, oh, wow, we get to sit on the stage. Because the stage is out of bounds normally for them. So, um, But yeah, I had a great time on Friday night. We had Mystery Box Night, and, uh, which is where basically we hide like a treasure chest somewhere. We've got this treasure chest we bought off eBay years ago and we just usually we put something nice in it like chocolates or lollies. One time we put um, two, two mice in there. Um, another time we found some fake dog poo at the shop and we put that in there and pretended that, it, you know. Uh, but the, on Friday night we didn't put anything in there and we are like, oh no, what are we going to do? So we dressed up Dan Killey, who's our drummer this morning. Uh, we dressed him up in a blue wig and this weird coat and he grabbed the treasure chest and ran off um, into the into the church bus and they drove and Matt Cries drove him away and the kids like running after it again completely workplace health and safety um, but it was like, it was such good fun and the kids just had a, you know had a ball and then um, yeah my my one thing as a youth pastor is I want to teach kids how to pray so we were talking about prayer on Friday night and if you could pray for us over the next few weeks that's what we're going to be talking about with the juniors but um, then something quite, kind of crazy happened at the end of the night um, this fella here on the end. Um, his name's Cortez. He's pretty cool. His dad's like a famous rugby union player. Um, and anyway, Cortez dropped a bomb on me. He said, oh, by the way, mum told me to tell you that in a month we're moving away. Um, so I'm going to be changing schools and not, won't become a youth group anymore. And this has happened a few times, quite a few times over the years. I'm kind of used to this now where you really invest in a kid, you get to know them and then they move away. 
And my first reaction on Friday night was just one of like sadness and going, oh no, you know, and I didn't want to say to him, oh, you can't do that. I didn't want to panic him, but in my mind I'm going, oh no, this is not okay. Like, I don't want you to leave. Um, this is a kid who, when he started youth group in grade two, which is two and a half years ago, he's halfway through grade four now. He came and he went, oh, do you guys teach about God here? And I went, yeah. And he goes, oh, I hate God. And it was, I was like, whoa. Um, and he's come from there to only a few weeks ago. We had another uh, one of the new kids join us in our small group and, and he wanted to pray for him. And I said, oh, I thought you didn't really believe in God. And he went, no, I love God. And I went, wow, that's a real change over two, two kind of two and a half years to that. But so my first response was, this isn't fair, God. Why would you take this kid away from me? Like I've been investing in him. You know, I've, I love this kid. I've been praying for him. I've gotten to know his family. I've helped them through some stuff. Um, and I felt God say to me, who are you that you would even question me on that? Like, don't you trust that I have a plan for Cortez and that you may have already played your part? And I realized that this is the whole thing about turning our eyes upon Jesus, that we think so much in ourselves, in and of ourselves. We, we, we say we trust God, we say we love him, we say we want the best, and we say that he's our God, but there's this part of us that still wants to have control and that and there's this part of in, in everybody and, and I've heard you many of you express you know I've, oh, I've had a hard week I've been stressed I'm worried and don't get me wrong there's legitimate things to worry about I mean it's legitimate to worry about what's going to happen with Cortez now will he find another youth group is, is there even another primary school sort of place for him to go I don't know but I do trust God and that's what I'm talking about this morning in Psalm 34 oh sorry no let me go back one um this morning, I want to talk to you about that. Um, if we actually turn our eyes upon Jesus, as that last song said, if we actually turn our eyes upon him and we look at him full in his wonderful face, then actually stress leaves. And one of my favorite authors is Francis Chan. Um, and this is what he said. He said, worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough, powerful enough or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives that's a now that's kind of a bit of an offensive quote in some ways and i kind of sum it up this is the josh lack version of it i've said basically the lord uh, sorry the only reason we worry is because we don't trust god now that might be a bit offensive but it's true isn't it that the only reason we worry is because we don't trust that god has a plan and i know this in my life in the last 18 months has been a horrible time for me it's been the worst time of my life and i've watched people around me, I've watched my parents, I've watched other people worry about me and worry about what's happening with me and many of you and, and so many of you are going through hard times, you know, I feel like this church has in a way been under attack, you know, with many different things going on and I'm not saying it's not okay to grieve and to mourn and to, and to, and to do all these things, of course those things are legitimate, but how far do we allow that to take over our lives? How much worry do we allow to take the place almost as an idol in our life, almost as a place where we say, you know what, I don't know what you're doing, God. We often say this, I don't know what you're doing, God. But what we're implying is we don't like it and we want you to change it, God. But do we trust the Lord? Do we actually turn our eyes upon him and say, you know, you know what you're doing? Because, my friends, he does know what he's doing. God is good. And though things don't go the way that we plan and things don't go the way that we want, he is having his way. And it doesn't always seem like that, does it? Like we have every reason to worry. We have every reason to be afraid of what's, 
of what's um, happening around us. I know for me, I have every excuse under the sun to say, well, I give up or my life's not good enough or my life's not what I planned. But God has a plan. And sometimes the journey, sometimes the process is actually what's helping us in our character, shaping us to be a better person, shaping us to help those around us. I remember last year when I was in hospital, so very quickly, without going into lots of details, um, in May last year I was walking normally, as, in, as, as most of you do, and I um, started to get a bit of pain in my legs, ended up in hospital, and over six weeks my body just shut down and they found a parasite, a very common parasite from Africa. I'd been in Africa and uh, it had had a little nibble and got its way into my spine and unfortunately uh, made me a T11 paraplegic, which is still quite full on even for me to say just then. It always kind of shocks me. And it was awful. I mean, it was just awful. And I used to lie there and I I've had not cried so much in my life as I did last year. And there were some other things in my personal life that happened that just wrecked me even further. But I remember actually when um, Janelle Thomas, she spoke before in the announcements. Remember when Janelle came and visited me and Janelle herself has been through a lot of health issues. And I remember we were sitting there at the coffee club across the road and I was having a really, really bad day. I was in a really bad mood. I, I was even saying many words that weren't in the Bible to her and to other people around me. I'm sure many of you say them as well. Um, and I remember Janelle just looked at me and she said, this, this sucks, hey. And there was this depth of, of mourning, of grief. There was this depth in Janelle where I realised she has been to the pit. She has been to the bottom. And when she said those three words, this sucks, hey, it was just like something lifted in me and went, oh, you get it. And I didn't know it at the time, but now I've been out of hospital, obviously, for about eight, eight, nine months myself now. And I've met with people. And I sat with a girl on this stage in our senior youth group on Friday night and, and um, prayed for her. And I did the same thing. I'm like, this sucks, hey, what you're going through. And again, there was this, almost this connection of, wow, you know, Josh, you understand the depth. Of, you know what it's like to go to the bottom. You get it. So maybe you're at the bottom right now, or maybe you're close to the bottom, or maybe you're just coming out of it. God is going to use that to help other people. It might hurt. You might not understand it. I don't think we're meant to understand it. I don't think that's what, what God wants to show us. Because sometimes, you know, it, it might be offensive. God's, God, God's answer is probably something along the lines of, the reason I allowed you, not made you, but the reason I allowed Satan to throw these things at you and bring you down to this depth is because I wanted you to turn to me and love me. Now, that might seem like a shocking thing, but it's true. God loves us so much that he would even allow us to go through grief and through worrying things in order that we might turn to him. Because one day it's all going to end anyway. One day it's not going to be there anyway. And so this might sound like, again, a bit of an offensive thing, but it's kind of not a big deal. You know, I went to a, I went to a spiritual retreat a couple of weekends ago. And it was really good. I, I really loved it. I'm doing a course at South Pine Community Church called Reform, and I recommend it. I, in fact, we love it so much we're thinking about even running it here. It's a great course. But I went away on this retreat and, you know, something that really kind of bugged me a little bit was that every single person that prayed for me, every single person, not one didn't do this, but every single person, even if they came and prayed for me about something else, they just had to throw the wheelchair in there, didn't they? Just had to pray, pray that I get out of this wheelchair. Oh, no, just pray that your body heals. Now, again, 
don't worry, God was doing a work in me in there because I realise I'm kind of closed to that a little bit and God sort of opened me up to say, well, hey, what if I do, Nikki, or you, you need to be open to that. But it's just interesting that that becomes the focal point for so many people, even Christians that want to pray for me. I've got a lot more going on in this, in this place here than this place here. And this is the, pla- and this is the place that's going to count because these, these aren't coming to heaven. These aren't coming to heaven. Neither are yours. Amen. We get a new body. Hallelujah. I'm hoping mine's a bit more like Brad Pitt, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> but, the, but, that, but our soul, you know, our spirit, that's the thing that's going to heaven. That's the place where God wants to meet us. That's the place we need to take care of. That's the place we need to, 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 to allow God to, to work in and cultivate. And so the words of this song that we sang before say, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Now, just think about what that means to look full in someone's face. You know, for those of you that are married, you know what it's like on your wedding day when you look full in your spouse's face. Or for those of you that have children, when you look full in their face. I had a little niece that was born uh, last week. My, my brother and his wife had a little baby girl. So I've got two nephews and now I've got a little niece. I haven't been able to meet her yet because I've had a bit of a cold and I don't want to go and make her sick. But I was watching a little video they sent um, of, of them and they were just looking full in her face and just looking at you know, the beauty of a newborn baby. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is on about. He's like, don't just glance at me. Don't look at me like I'm up in the sky. Look full in his face. And what does it say? It says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is written by a lady who has three names for some reason. I don't know why those people in those days had those many names anyway. Um, but do you know that she actually wrote these words in 1918? That's exactly 100 years ago. It's one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up. She, she actually took her another four years to kind of finish the verses and things, and it was finished in 1922. But she wrote this chorus in 1918, 100 years ago. And 100 years later, we're still singing them. 100 years, exactly, because they're still relevant. And I want to focus on this bit here. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of what? His glory and grace. Because when we actually look full in his wonderful face, when we're actually focused on him and we, and we think of him, and this is kind of spiritually speaking too. Some of you are kind of like, well, where is he? I'm happy to look at his face. Where is it? And, I, and, and you know, God's talking in a spiritual sense here that he wants us to look full at him, that he wants us to focus on him, that he wants us to set our minds on Jesus, set our minds on Christ. When we do that, it's true. Things do, and I love how I love this word, strangely dim. I feel like a teenager wrote this song on Instagram last week because it's kind of a bit of a, a weird thing to say in him. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. It's almost like sarcastic, and I love that because it's so true. The things of the earth will grow strangely dim, and yet I don't know if that word is appropriate because it shouldn't be strange that when we look at Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, when we look at Jesus who died on the cross and saved us, and when we look at Jesus who's awesome, whose name is power, it shouldn't be strange that other things around us grow, grow dim. It isn't strange. It's awesome. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's what he's in the business of. God loves healing us. God loves sharing his grace upon us. He loves taking the wretched things of the world and making them awesome. I love it. I had it at youth group oh, maybe a couple of months ago. We went and took the, the senior kids away for an outing. And... Uh, Anyway, this, this dad was there and he was really tall. He was so tall that I, I mean, I'm short now. I couldn't even, I could see his chin and that was about it. And he was yelling at a couple of my youth leaders and he was going off, you know, 
you took my son who I didn't know he was with you. What's going on? I want to speak to who's in charge. And he's going off. And of course, they point over to me and the guy in the wheelchair with the cap on. And in fact, actually, at youth group, I had my cap backwards. So I literally was sitting there like this. And he looks at me and he just goes, oh. And he just became really nice and like, oh, the, the, the guy in the wheelchair is in charge. And he was kind of questioning, like, are you in charge? I went, yeah. And uh, anyway, it turns out that um, his son had faked the signature on the permission note. And that's how he was allowed to come. So uh, anyway, <laughs> it kind of got me out of trouble. But it was interesting that, you know, that that guy kind of looked at me and went, oh, wow. And it's, tr and it's true. God takes the, 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 the small things, the weak things, the seemingly weak things of this world and gives them positions of power. He takes, you know, people like Moses who killed a man. He takes people like David who inadvertently killed a man to get with his wife. I mean, he takes people that aren't really that nice and that good and he makes them powerful. He gives them uh, these, these, these great works to do because they look full in his wonderful face. I mean, I, you know, I've done some terrible things in my life. I mean, I would hate for my sin list to be on the, on the wall up here. I would never speak to any of you again because it would just be too embarrassing. And maybe you're the same if your sin list was up there. But that's what God does. He takes that and he, and he wipes it clean. You know, the Bible says that Jesus makes, our, makes us as, as white as snow. Though our sins were as scarlet, Isaiah 1.18 says, we are now as white as snow. God makes us clean. Um, Psalm 34 verse 5, I think is going to come up. It says, keep your eyes on the Lord. You will shine like the sun and never blush with shame. This is what we're on about this morning. This is kind of what... Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the verse uh, comes from. It comes from Psalm 34. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep them on the Lord. When things are going wrong around you, when your children have walked away and aren't following the Lord anymore, when your body is failing and your health is deteriorating, when those around you pass away that are younger than you and you think, why? Keep your eyes on the Lord. You will shine like the sun. When you're struggling with your own sin and your own grief and your own rubbish in your own life, Keep your eyes on the Lord and you will never blush with shame. I mean, if we really are in Jesus, when people attack us or when people, you know, I mean, it's, I find it all the time when people find out I'm a pastor, you know, I go and get my hair cut or something like that and people find out I'm a pastor and it's like, oh, you're a pastor and all of a sudden the conversation changes and they sort of tiptoe around me or, or they give me their whole life story. It kind of happens one way or the other. Um, or people go, you know, oh, you know, I remember when I was a chaplain at the school and kids would come up and they would say, oh, mum says I'm not allowed to talk to you because you're religious. And off they go. And I'd think, I just get so hurt and so angry. But keep your eyes on the Lord and you'll never blush with shame. We do not fight against flesh and blood, remember. We also, we're fighting against, we're fighting in the spirit. And we've got, to, we've got to do that. And I think this is kind of what this is on about as well, is keeping our eyes on the Lord means we've got to be spiritually switched on. I think oftentimes, you know, in the Bible, Jesus said, My Father is looking for those who worship in spirit and truth. And the one thing I love about Rivers Church of Christ is I think that we have that balance where we worship in truth. We're grounded in the Bible, but we worship in spirit. You know, we pray for one another. If you get a word for someone in this church, you know, share it with them. The worst you can do is be really wrong and we just trust God that he's going to fix it or whatever, it's, whatever you're on about. But let's, let's worship in spirit and in truth. That's what that's what our father that's who our father is looking for and that keeping your eyes on the Lord is a spiritual thing it's not a it's not a religious thing it's not a theological concept as much as it's a spiritual concept opening up our hearts to God because Holy Spirit wants to fill us he wants to fill us from head to toe 
I had a really crazy experience. I was driving the car the other week and I experienced, at times I experienced incredible nerve pain. It's usually at night time and I struggle to sleep. I'm trying another medication this week which has made me really tired. And I'm often sleeping in the afternoons now, so I'll probably have a sleep before night church again tonight. And, um, and I was in the car and I just started to get really bad nerve pain. I pulled over to the side of the road and I was really yelling. I was like, God, can you just heal me? Why do I have to keep going through this pain? It's so annoying. And, 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 I, and I cried out. I said, Holy Spirit, you're in me. Well, do you even feel this right now? And Holy Spirit said, uh, yeah, <laughs> I do. I live inside you. Of course I feel this pain. And I went, oh. Oh, yeah. I think we have this concept that, that when God lives in us, he just lives in our heart in this one spot. Or he lives, you know, like he lives in our lung and we, oh, we coughed. Oops, I better, how am I going to get him back in? Like, that's not, that's not how God works. Yeah. No, God actually lives inside of us. That means that God lives in these wretched legs. Maybe you've got an, I think just about every human being has a, has a sore shoulder, a sore knee, or a sore, you know, everyone's got something that's going on. But God lives in that part of your body. But, you know, the Bible says that he actually dwells inside of us. It doesn't make us God, and it doesn't make us gods. Let me be very clear about that. He's God, we're not. Uh, we're still in control of the decisions we make. But if we allow him to live in us, have a look what... Um, I'm going to skip over a couple of verses. This is really slow, this, um, uh, this thing. It kind of lags a little bit. Uh, where is it? John 15. I want to show you this. Um, come on. Wow, I had a lot of Bible verses ready to go, didn't I? Here we go. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's phrase that in a positive way. With me, you can do anything. That's what God is saying. Jesus is saying, with me, you can do anything in my name. And apart from me, you can do nothing. I know so many times I've rocked up here on a Friday night for youth group and I've been in a bad mood and you know, maybe the oval or the hall's messy or something or maybe a parent comes up and asks me, complains about something or usually this is what parents do. They say, oh, you know how the bus is leaving at 9 o'clock, it says here, but is the bus leaving at 9 o'clock? Yes, the bus is leaving at 9 o'clock. I wouldn't have written that if it didn't mean that. This is what they do. Oh, my goodness. It drives me nuts. I'm not kidding. This happens every camp I run. Oh, it says here they have to bring a sleeping bag, but I've only got sheets. Can they just bring that? No, it says you've got to bring a sleeping bag. You bring a sleeping bag. I wouldn't have written that if I didn't mean it. Anyway, and so I get in these frustrated moods or, you know, um, I see leaders kind of whispering or they're kind of, you know, afraid to come and tell me something. I snap at somebody and then kids are naughty and I snap at them or whatever. And this has happened so many times where I've got to the end of the night and I've sat in the leaders meeting and we start to pray and I feel like God just says, hi, Josh. And I go, oh, yeah, hi, God. I probably should have had this conversation with you before youth group, hey. And I've done it on my own. No wonder the night sucked for me, because I did it on my own. I can't do Apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, when you're out there, especially in ministry, but even ministry doesn't mean you just have to be doing a youth group or a boys' brigade or something like that. Ministry could mean that you're at home with your family. Ministry could be that you're at the shopping centre. Ministry could be that you're at the hairdresser. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When we're in Jesus, when we're focusing on him and we're allowing him to fill us from head to toe, then we can do anything in his name. And there are nights, and we did this on Friday night, because I knew I was preaching this sermon. I thought, I better do this on Friday night, youth group. And I, we, we really prayed at the start of the night. 
and I blessed the leaders and I had this kind of strange word from God. I felt him say, I want you to tell the leaders to be so full that wherever they go tonight that they would leak the presence of God. Please correct me on my theology, but... But you, know, but you know what I mean? Like that, that we would pour out our presence, that whatever we say, whatever we do, whatever we touch, that God would use us to touch people. And on Friday night, we had an, an amazing night, and I was conscious of God's presence, and I was conscious of the fact that we don't fight against flesh and blood, and I was watching because you know, there's some pretty crazy spiritual things that happen around Kalanga, and I, and I was praying into these things, and I saw God move in a powerful way on Friday night, and I realized that he had achieved what he'd set out to. It's not about me and what I want to achieve. I spent six and a half months in hospital last year or away from youth group. God still achieved what he needed to achieve. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. But, he, but the beauty of our God is he chooses to use us. Actually, he wants to use us. He wants to be with us. And, you know, it's funny. Um, I heard a, a wonderful quote the other week too. and Someone said, don't get, God's confu- don't get God's will confused with what God wants. God doesn't always get what he wants. But his will happens. And what I mean by that, because in, 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 in his word he says, he doesn't want that anyone should perish. Like God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to not know him. But that still happens because people choose to, to, to go the wrong way. And you can talk about election and things. That's another sermon for someone smart like Tim Neal to preach. I don't understand that stuff. But I know that, that, that we have the choice whether or not to follow God. And, and, and even as Christians... We're as dumb as the Israelites because we forget. <laughs> we forget that he's with us. We forget what he's done. We, make, we, 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 think, we, look at the, we look at the Israelites and we think, oh, well, they made a golden calf out of all their gold earrings and they worship that. Well, you know, how silly are they? But then in my heart, I've got so many golden calves that I worship, that I put in the place of God. Sometimes it's, I want to feel good. I think that's the human condition. We want to feel good. We want to feel complete. And so we use anything to do that. Sometimes it's food. You know, for me, often it's, it's, it's food. I, I love food. When I'm sad or tired, I think I'm just going to eat a bowl of ice cream. I don't care. I'm going to cover it in Milo, which I recommend, by the way. It's really good. Um, and I love doing that. Um, at the moment, um, my mum bought me a Birdie Beetle show bag, and I love Birdie Beetles. And I've eaten, I ate all 12 of them in two days. I was like, why did you do that, Josh? Um, and by the way, you know, chocolate's not a sin. Ice cream's not a sin. I think, you know, the Bible says eat and be merry. They're good things. But when they become idols, when they become things that we turn to instead of God, that's the beauty of fasting. I don't know if you ever fast. I try to fast most Mondays now um, and just to seek God. And I get hungry and it kind of gets annoying and I get a dry throat. And, and, but it actually makes me seek the Lord. It makes me actually want to be with him. And, it, and I'm actually really enjoying doing it. Um, and it's not a weight loss technique, by the way. I thought I'd lose weight, but I think my body goes, uh-oh, and it kind of wants to store up more. But I would encourage you to, you know, to seek God in whatever way he wants you to seek him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. Um, I'll just go back one here to, um, to Psalm 23, verse 4. It says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's been a lot of talk about what what King David meant when he wrote this psalm in this verse. But he was a shepherd boy. He'd, he'd looked after sheep, so he knew what he was talking about. But, you know, the rod and the staff for the sheep, you know, it, it, it represents so many things of what God, what God does for us. It's not, about, it's not about just turning your eyes upon him because we're scared of him and we better do what he says. Actually, he wants to be with us. He actually wants to use his rod and staff. Things like guiding us, you know, Things like um, helping us in, 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 a, in a thing of safety. 
you know, the, the rod and the staff were used to, if a sheep got stuck in a fence or stuck in a bush or something, you know, to hook the sheep out of there and, and make sure they're safe. Or, you know, using it to, to beat off wild animals. You know, wild animals would come and, and might try and attack and eat the sheep and, you know, the, the shepherd would, you know, hit them and, and get rid of them. But also for discipline, you know, if the sheep wasn't following or wasn't doing the right thing, you know, you're giving it a tap on the nose or a tap on the back to say, hey, get in line, you know, listen to me, do what I'm saying. But even also as a thing of, of love, you know, I read, I read in one commentary, one, one guy said that often it was used, you know, to give the sheep a bit of a scratch, you know, a scratch behind the ears or a scratch on the back, you know, um, for them to enjoy. And that's what our God is. I mean, this is what it says. It's in the Bible that God wants to love us, you know, and comfort us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those things actually comfort us, help us to commune with God, to be with him in everything that we do. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. I can't say that I did that, church. I can't say that I did that last year. I didn't obey that. I tried to for a long time and then it just got too hard. And I kind of gave up for a while. I said, well, God, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't agree with what you're doing in my life. So I kind of gave up for a bit. And I began to fear. And fear gripped me for a long time last year. And I understand that there are mental health issues and there are other things at play and and things but it, but on a base level you know god is for us and i didn't understand that last year the process that i went through of grief of trauma was actually shaping me to become uh, someone who's a little bit deeper with god well, a little bit deeper a lot deeper with god a changed person inside and out that i might be an encouragement to you might be encouragement to the kids that come to this church in particular i don't know i'm a bit, I'm a bit like I feel a bit like Jesus when he talks about, you know, the 99 sheep that were in the pen, but he goes after the one. I feel like that. I have such a heart for the kids that come here. I love it. And I want them to know him. And I want to leak the presence of God. Again, excuse my wrong theology if that's wrong. But, but I, want, I, want to, I want to reek the presence of God. I want, to, I want to be so filled with him and so focused on him that it's unmistakably him. That when people look at me, they look at Jesus. That when people look at me, they're not encouraged by me. They don't remember me, but they remember Jesus. You know, when Cortez grows up, wherever he goes, he might not even remember that this is where his faith journey started. He might not even remember, oh, there was a guy in a wheelchair. I forget his name. He was there, but he knows Jesus. That's my prayer. And if I fully trust in him, if I fully trust God that he is doing what he needs to do, then I know that everything's going to be okay and that God's will will prevail. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. And I love this, this verse 18 here, which says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Crushed in spirit. When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, even when we are crushed, and I, I don't know, I just have such a heart. It's always, whenever I pray and prepare a sermon for you guys in the morning here, I have such a heart for the prodigals. So I know many of you have children that aren't walking with God and that pains you incredibly. And, I know, and, I know, and in a sense, I know what that's like because I know what it's like when I have youth group kids. I had one guy who came to Africa with me who I fed into. You know, we did everything and then oh, he just walked away from God like, and even doesn't even really want to talk to any of us, doesn't want to know any of us, I think because it's just too hard for him to face back up to Jesus. And it breaks me and I just think, I don't understand God. I don't understand. But he saves those. We were crushed in spirit. He lifts us up and makes us understand that whatever he's doing 
is good and we need to trust him. Remember what that Francis Chan quote said, that we don't, the reason we worry is because we don't think he's big enough or we don't think he's powerful enough or we don't think he's loving enough. We think that we have to do it. My friends, we're not called to do, to be God in a sense of like actually try and force things on people. It doesn't work. The more you try and force the issue, the more it's not going to work. Allow God to be God. Allow God to do what he needs to do. And let's be loving. All we need to do is be filled with the presence of God, worshipping in spirit and in truth. Yes, sometimes we might need to correct someone. Yes, we might need to rebuke someone. But it's done out of a place of love, not out of a place of fear. I don't want to be a church that's afraid. Let's not be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Our God beat death. <laughs> Our God beat death. There is nothing that we need to be afraid of. I mean, if death is the worst thing that can happen, because it's the final, it's the ending, and he beat that, what are we to be afraid of? And I see the good things that God is doing. I know another hurtful thing for me is, obviously, when our, when our lovely Pastor Dave uh, you know, finished up so quickly and, and felt called to move on and stuff, I know for me, he's been like a dad to me the last six years, and that was hard for me, and I've been grieving, and I know many of you are grieving. But then the last five weeks, we've watched Tim do his transitioning series. It's been awesome. Now, Tim is a fantastic teacher. Out of a bad sort of hard thing that we've gone through, we, we see Tim sort of have to step up into that role and, and, and preach, and he's done an amazing job. I was so worried about following him this week. I'm like, oh, my goodness. That's why this, all these chairs are empty. They went, oh, well, Tim's not here this week. We'll just um, go somewhere else. But, you know, God is doing a great thing in this place. And I trust him. I don't always agree with what he's doing. And that's okay. And he says that's okay. We can say that to God. We can grumble to God. It's not a sin to grumble to God. Did you know that? It's not a sin to say, God, I don't like this. You know, I say that to him often when I fall on the ground or when I'm getting pain. Like, God, I don't like this. And he says, I know, but don't worry. I'm doing a good work. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you're at the lowest point of your life, God is with you. Even if you don't feel it, it's true. And I want to finish on this point. That This is a great quote from um, Timothy Keller. He says, Jesus took the tree of death so you could have the tree of life. You know that I always want to come back to this point when I preach and that is that we don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve to be with God in a sense because we've, we've turned away from him. Every one of us at one point in our lives has said, has said no to him. In, in some way, even if you've grown up in a Christian family all your life, there's still points of our lives where we've said no to him, where we've rejected him, where we haven't followed his will. We've been afraid and we haven't trusted him. And what I'm calling us to do this morning is trust him. I know, I'm looking around the room at many of you I've talked to and many of you are going through really hard times. Trust him. Church, trust him. I know, you know there's, n- there's not as many mms after that because it's hard, isn't it? But it, but it shouldn't be because he's good. And we as a family need to be switched on in the spirit so that we can help those. You know, one of the best things that happened to me last year was you guys. The amount of encouragements. My phone used to go flat in hospital because people would message me so much. I remember I was in a room with, with three other guys and they said, oh my goodness, you have as many visitors as us three put together. And that's because of God. That's because of the family of God and people listening to him, trusting him, loving him. That's all that is, and that's awesome. Even when we come in, someone like me who doesn't have a, you know, a, a biological family, in a sense, uh, young, you know, I don't have children or anything like that. I've got my parents here. 
But, you know, this is the family of God. I feel at home in this place. I feel loved in this place. And that's because Jesus gives us fullness of life. He promises us. It's not just about eternity. It's not just about going to heaven. We're going to heaven, okay? Get that, get that right. That's great. But you're not dead yet, right? I'm not dead yet. I wanted, oh man, I, I, that's great. I welcome death in that sense. I welcome the death of this body because we know where we're going. But until then, God has an assignment for us. And, we, and I believe that we're called to follow him. And I believe that that includes fullness of life. Can you have fullness of life in a wheelchair? Yes, you can. Man, I have great joy. I was with those kids on Friday night. We were sticking our hands in a pot full of porridge. It's probably why there's porridge everywhere out there. I'm sorry about that. There's flies. We were trying to find a five-cent piece. And my, one of my apprentices, Kate, she'd hit it so well we couldn't find it. And then they realised that it was actually stuck in like the side bit of the pot and it wouldn't actually come out. So anyway, but it was great fun. The kids were covered in porridge. It was awesome. We went, through, went all through the church everywhere. It took us about 17 and a half hours to clean up, but praise the Lord. We don't deserve to be with God in a sense because we all turned away from him. But in his ridiculous love, because I wouldn't do this, I would have scrunched up the earth and started again. But he can't do that because he's love. So in his wisdom, he came down to earth as a man and he went onto the cross willingly to die. A gruesome and horrible death that he was punished. And by his stripes we are healed. We are healed in Jesus' name that because of his death and resurrection, we can now look full in his wonderful face. You don't need to look at a pastor. You don't need to look at a leader. You don't, need to, you don't even need to look at the Bible in a sense, even though the Bible is the truth and we worship in truth. But we look to him. We use what's in the Bible to look straight at him because he is Lord. And he took that tree of death so that we could have the tree of life. So why don't we have the band come up and uh, we're going to sing this. We're going to sing one last song. We're going to sing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus at the end again as well, just the chorus. But why don't you guys stand up and let's pray together this morning, hey? If you can stand. <laughs> I always say there's so many, so many sayings in church. I was at a camp recently where um, the, the preacher said, um, and, and, and this is classic Rivers Youth Group, right? We've got a bit of a reputation being a bit naughty. We were, we were all sitting up the front of this particular thing at Fuse Camp and... And the preacher said, oh, you know, make a stand for Jesus. And I turned around a few of my kids and I said, oh, well, I guess I can't, I can't do that. I guess I'm a bit in trouble with the Holy Spirit then. And, and they all started laughing and the preacher got really distracted, like looking at rivers, like what are they doing, the naughty youth group? But anyway, <laughs> let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your presence. Would you fill us right now, Holy Spirit? from head to toe, would you fill us up, would you fill this place up so much that we would pour out your presence, not just leak it, but pour it out, that everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we do and everything we touch would be impacted because we have you. It's not us, but it's you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we trust you. Help us to trust you more. I want to pray for those who are really suffering at the moment. Those who are crushed in spirit. Save them, God, as your word says. We stand on your promise that you will save those who are crushed in spirit. Help us to really look at you full. And God, when we turn to the left or to the right, would you draw our attention back to you, God? Would you help us understand that no matter what is happening, you are for us and not against us. 
We love you, Jesus. Amen.